0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intelligence, forecast, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us on one of the 47 radio stations. Maybe you're listening on iTunes or you're watching us on YouTube. We appreciate you being with us. And also, you're invited, we'd love to hear from you, you're invited to connect with us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Just search for Commercial Real Estate Show, or you can find all the links at our show website, creshow.com. Today we're going to talk about retail and retail real estate. We're going to talk about retail property sales and cap rates, uh, where we are, what we expect to see moving forward. We're we'll also talk about REIT performance and retail REIT performance, where we are there, and what do we expect moving forward for performance. Then also we'll look at retail performance, how are the retailers actually doing, and include some strategies to help them perform better. And please welcome my first guest, Kevin M. Bowden. He's Director of Research with Real Capital Analytics. He's joining us on the phone. Kevin, thanks for being with us.
1: Always, Michael. Glad to be here.
0: Well, great. Kevin, it seems like we're seeing an increase in sales here in the, the southeast where we work, You know, selling shopping centers and, and single-tenant net lease properties. What happened in 2015? Uh, where did volume end up?
1: Well, as a whole, we're looking at the best retail investment year of all time. Wow. And I think that might surprise people because everyone thinks that 2007 was the peak, but we're looking at close to $82 billion of retail investment transacted in the U.S., and that's up from 76 in 2014. Now, year on year in terms of the fourth quarter, it was a bit down, but what propelled 2015 ahead was the consistent amount of investment throughout the year, whereas in 2014 there was just a big fourth quarter.
0: Right. So what's this doing to uh, cap rates? Uh, is uh, Are we seeing some compression there? What do you see?
1: Certainly, and I think I've probably sounded like a broken record the last couple times I've been on with the way cap rates have compressed, but there's just been that consistent slow compression across the spectrum. So for malls and other inner-city type properties, barely over 6% nationwide, and strip centers are down to around a 7.2. So as a frame of reference, coming out of the recession, say 2010, we were up to over 8 in terms of strips and uh, close to eight in terms of malls so that's pretty big compression over the five-year span but it's been pretty gradual as it's happened little by little each year
0: and when you refer to strips you're also including uh, grocery anchored shopping centers right
1: that's correct that does include the grocery anchored centers certainly those trade at a bit more of a premium than your average strip center so you're probably looking at another 300 500 basis points lower on those
0: Okay. And you do a great job and you guys do at RC Analytics of of tracking investment sales and cap rates and and also, you know, what might impact them. So, you know, we have some things going on. Let's talk about them and get your ideas on how that might impact values and cap rates moving forward. First of all, we're all expecting... uh, interest rates to continue to climb? I guess we really hope so, right? We hope the economy stays strong for for everyone, especially commercial real estate. So how will rising interest rates uh, impact values?
1: So they may have that impact in terms of financing, certainly. If financing becomes more dear, then that will be a problem if people want to buy. I think we still have that gap in terms of cap rates and interest rates, where there's that space where people can price that in and still get a good return. I think also, in terms of loan-to-value, we're still looking at high 60s for the most part across the board. So there's still some space there as well. We're not up to the uh, crazy 80% level that we saw right before the recession. So as far as that's concerned, I think we, if I had to guess, and it's always fraught with danger, I suppose, Mm -hmm. I think we still have a bit of room there.
0: Well, I went back and, and listened to some of these shows from for many years back just to kind of see how you guys uh, they're doing and, and other analysts that we have on and it's been amazingly accurate so uh, give yourself some credit. I know you study this every day and you're and you're being modest but uh, uh, I've really seen some success here with your forecast and another thing that's, that's recently happened that uh, as, as we were talking about earlier it hasn't really seemed to be in the news enough and that's the FERPTA uh, changes which will really might open up the the floodgates, floodgates more for foreign investors to invest in U.S. real estate, and that just happened, I guess, in December, right? Have you guys seen anything yet, and what do you expect there?
1: Well, I think it's a little too early to see anything yet, just because we're only a couple of weeks into this. But we were looking at, at the, I guess basically for the entire year of 2015, 16% of all investment in the U.S. was coming from foreign investors. And anecdotally, and we have a hard time to prove this, but it's something that we've long argued about internally, we figured that there's a lot of investors who would like to invest even more in the U.S., but they had to write that tax into what their expected return was. And these are the kind of large investors that have billions to invest. They are probably not going to be affected by the need for financing, because these could be pension funds, these could be investment managers who would essentially be paying all cash for these properties. And they have a lot of interest in being here because emerging markets are not doing as well as they used to be. So this will give them another opportunity, another reason to bring more money to the U.S. So if some investors who do require financing are a little hesitant right now because of the increase in interest rates. Well, these other investors can take their place.
0: Right. So do you think that may increase uh, buyer demand and there may be uh, keep cap rates from being as impacted from rising interest rates because you have that increased buyer demand?
1: I think the potential is there. It just remains to be seen which side ends up winning in this. So it's, it's going to be a pretty good, good blockbuster throughout 2016. So we've got to get out the popcorn and watch. <laughs>
0: That's great. And we're talking to Kevin and Bowden with RC Analytics about the retail investment market. So are there any change uh, in what uh, would be the hot markets for investment in the U.S.?
1: Well, it's interesting you mentioned that, because as we were compiling our totals for this year, we're going to have our annual reports coming out pretty soon for each property type. There were a few markets that really surprised me. I found that some of these markets in the Southwest that have been relatively quiet for the past few years have suddenly jumped up. Phoenix and Dallas both are up half a billion from last year to this year. And if that sounds impressive, well... Las Vegas, which no one wanted to touch for quite some time now, has doubled in volume. Wow. So we went from $700 in total retail investment last year to one, over 1.4 actually, uh, for 2015. So some of these investors who have, up till this point, been staying in the primary markets, wanting to take the safe route still, now it's going into some of these secondary markets and maybe even some of these tertiary markets, because we've seen some interesting sales there.
0: And are they going there uh, searching for, for higher yields, or are the cap rates somewhat similar?
1: Well, I think it's certainly yield chasing a bit because we've seen some compression in those markets now. Those yields were much higher in the past where we were looking at those high sixes, high sevens. And we still actually see some of those that are untouched in certain markets. So coming from, I guess, a low total number of centers, Transacted. There are certain markets for strip centers that are still in the low eights as far as cap rates. We're talking Salt Lake City, Memphis, and there are several markets that are still returning high sevens. So we're talking Orlando, Charlotte, Minneapolis, some of these larger secondary markets that probably haven't received too much investor interest yet, but probably will soon as investors are looking for those markets that will give them a good return.
0: And when you compare those cap rates in some of those cities to some of the other sectors you guys track, like industrial and office, uh, are you seeing that uh, these retail investors are generally getting a, a higher cap rate, a better return?
1: Certainly, because I think in certain primary markets, the office and apartment caps have compressed to such a huge extent that you have to think long and hard about investing there. If you have... I guess it's more of a short term return goal, then we're looking at 2%, 3% difference between some of these primary and secondary markets now, regardless of property type. And so it's opening some eyes a little bit. People are looking for different solutions.
0: And because of these higher returns in retail over office and industrial, uh, how is the volume comparing? Uh, Are we getting more retail uh, buyers in the marketplace than these other sectors?
1: I think some of the primary markets are still being targeted much more highly, so there will still be those folks who want to aim for the best of the best, and they're going to still go to the primary markets and still go to those high-end office sector. But there remains to be seen those all that capital that we know is sitting out there that hasn't invested as of yet, but is very much interested. And I think we've seen some of these buyers, when they've started to come back in the market, they're going retail or industrial instead of going straight for the high end just because they know they can chase those larger returns.
0: Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Well, Kevin, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on.
1: Absolutely. Thanks as always, Michael.
0: All right. Well, thank you. If you like more information from RC Analytics, visit rcanalytics.com and stay with us. We'll have more. We'll have some retailer tips and more for you. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today, we're talking about retail and retail real estate. Well, now let's look at REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, in particular, focus in on some retail REITs and see what performance has been and, and what we might expect moving forward. We have an expert with us on the phone. It's Stephen Marks. He's Managing Director with Fitch Ratings. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Michael, thank you very much for having me. Well, you appreciate it. And uh, so how did uh, retail REITs perform in uh, 2015?
2: Uh, n- not that great. They were down uh, down a couple percent um, on a total return basis, which which does include the, the impact of dividends. So more, one of the, the worst years that retail REITs have had in probably the last five.
0: That's interesting. So how did re- uh, retail REITs perform compared to the other REITs? Uh, is everyone down a little bit?
2: Everyone's down a little bit. Uh, there were a couple winners this year in some other sectors. On average, again, on a total return basis, the sector was was actually uh, down about one and a half percent, and so retail rates did a did a, did a touch worse than that, uh, and a touch worse than the overall S and P five hundred in in two thousand and fifteen.
0: Okay, and uh, but they did pay dividends, didn't they?
2: they? They do, which is why looking at total returns yeah. is always the, the an important metric that we look at, and, and certainly over longer term periods, five years, 10 years, up to 25 years, REITs have consistently uh, outperformed the broader markets.
0: Yeah. And I think some of our listeners may find that interesting because, you know, uh, REITs have the underlying real estate uh, and and the fundamentals for real estate are good, right? Uh, There's been increasing rents and increasing uh, occupancy. So you're expecting NOI growth uh, that we've seen in these properties. So, you know, why are REITs not performing well? Well,
2: it's Really, a couple reasons. One is that uh, the, the fear of interest rates, what that might do to due to common stocks, um, in in particular entities or vehicles that are yield yield plays, uh, and just back on the total return uh, concept. About two thirds of REITs' total return over any long-standing period of time has been about two thirds. So uh, dividends are a meaningful part of this story for REITs, especially on the equity side, and and so whenever there is a, a fear or the reality of increasing interest rates yield-driven vehicles, at least in the short-term, do tend to underperform.
0: Well, let's talk about that for a minute, Stephen. Give me some advice if I'm a retail investor. If, is the outlook for commercial real estate property performance, in your opinion, look strong?
2: In general, we, we do think that that property performance will be, will be good, driven by a handful of items, uh, namely uh, supply and demand for most property types, in particular retail are in balance. Uh, some of the challenges that the retailers face or that the retail REITs face in particular are items such as uh, such as uh, store closures or, or retailer bankruptcies.
0: Right, and we are seeing some of that. So well, the stock market's had a struggle so far this year. So does that mean there's a value play at this point uh, in REITs and in retail REITs?
2: Well, as we think about it as, as credit folks, uh, you know, we're, we're probably one step removed from from, from the equity, but in our view that the retail REITs, we think will will perform generally generally pretty well. Our outlook on retail REITs is, is above average, although that view that we have is somewhat bifurcated by whether or not we're talking about mall REITs or strip center REITs.
0: Well, let's talk about that, uh, which REITs uh, do have the strongest outlook.
2: In, within the retail space, our view is that the strips or the grocery anchored REITs will mm-hmm. perform, perform best within the retail sector really because uh, uh... you know while there is some grosser fallout from the intense competition as traditional grocers get squeezed out by the specialty and warehouse discount grocers uh... they have been able to backfill some of that some of that uh, vacancy to the extent that it does exist uh... and in particular filling some of the inline space the small shop tenants not so much the grocers or the the bigger tenants but the small shop uh... occupancy and rent gains have been the, the, the biggest uh... bright star within the within the strip center Malls is a little bit of a different story. Uh, malls are facing some challenges, uh, other challenges, because of the bankruptcy risk of some tenants. We had a slow holiday sales, uh, sales period this past, uh, you know, past couple months, so we view that overall cash flow growth is going to be slower for malls. Um, we do like the higher productivity malls better than the Bs and Cs uh, because the, the challenges on the tenant side have been incrementally uh, impacting the Bs and Cs worse than the worse in the A's, that the higher quality centers have better occupancies, higher base rents, better leasing spreads, and overall better cash flow growth.
0: Right. And as our listeners know, uh, you can invest in uh, REITs uh, a lot on the stock market. Uh, so it's a very liquid investment. And a lot of these REITs very much specialize in what they do. And one of the specialties that we see out there is the single tenant net lease market. What is your outlook for those REITs? The,
2: uh, the, the net lease space is, is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of those tenants are are uh, in in the retail space, whether it be quick serve restaurants or so you know, auto centers or things like that, which which throughout this throughout this cycle, in our view, is over the next few years, are are pretty resilient businesses, and they're very easily meeting their their uh, their rent obligations with their property level cash flow, which is ultimately the the uh, the best determinant of uh, how well those properties are going to perform.
0: Right, and then you mentioned investors uh, outlook on how rising interest rates will impact you know the stock market in general and then in REITs and in real estate so what's your view of how rising interest rates may impact uh, REITs and, and retail?
2: We don't think it's going to impact it much at all because to the extent that there is a higher cost of of capital, higher cost of debt because companies uh, companies' debt is is uh, more expensive because of a rising interest rate environment that will more that be more than made up on the top line, because if interest rates are increasing because there's stronger GDP, stronger economy, uh, job growth, decrease in unemployment, all those things are good for commercial real estate demand in particular retail demand. And so uh, you know we view that the top line will be will be quite strong because of a uh, uh, growing economy, um, even if there is rising interest rates that do come along with that.
0: Okay. And there's been some talk of, of uh, bubble pricing on some of these institutional quality assets, especially in the major markets. And there's some change in the, in the FERPTA, uh, the Tax Act, uh, revolving foreign investors investing in U.S. real estate. And could that increase uh, dem- buyer demand and impact uh, the value of these REITs?
2: We definitely think so. Um, we, we thought that when, when these, these tax rules uh, came into effect just last month that uh, they do remove some of the hurdles faced by some foreign investors when it comes to, to read acquisitions and in general uh, U.S. commercial real estate. And so the, the, the in our view, is based on the premise that long-term foreign investors are increasingly looking to real estate for returns because cash yields are higher than government debt, particularly in the, the G20 nations. And so certainly taking, taking a REIT private or buying U.S. commercial real estate can act as a, as a good hedge um, and as a good source of of, uh, of income for some of those buyers,
0: so you do think that foreign investment will uh, increase? I guess it did increase in in December. From what we've heard already, you think that's going to continue?
2: We we, we do. Uh, in some ways, it's a little tricky when you look at some of the numbers because some of the quote unquote foreign investment might be might be uh, wealthy wealthy people uh, in in some oil-rich states buying buying New York City condos here, but um, once you strip out some of that some of that data, we think that overall that the, these changes in the FERPA rules are going to be a, a real positive for, uh, for M&A or just in general acquisition activity here. It removes a meaningful impediment that had been in place for a pretty long time.
0: Okay. And if you were interested in investing in stocks, is it today better where we are in the market here in January since the market's dropped than it was, say, in December?
2: Well, one could argue that uh, mm-hmm. that a uh, good time to buy when stocks go down. And so while, while we, we don't have a... a specific view on on common equity or or equity valuations. Because we're on the credit side, certainly um, when there's fear, oftentimes that can be a good time to uh, to jump in.
0: Well, Stephen, thanks for joining us. As always, great information. For more information, visit FitchRatings.com. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We have more. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. Today we're talking about retail and retail real estate. We have a treat for you now. We're going to talk to Jesse Tron via Skype. He is a spokesman for ICSC, International Council of Shopping Centers. Jesse, thanks for being with us.
3: thanks so much for having me always a pleasure to be on with you
0: just we talked to you before the holiday season and you had some ideas of what what might happen well what really did happen you know the holiday season is obviously a very big time for retailers right how did they perform
3: yeah i think things are still shaking out a bit obviously we did see the december numbers come in uh from from the commerce department that was advanced uh, remember so there is the opportunity for those numbers to be revised um, and we saw some bifurcation really in retail there were there was some split there were some uh, areas of, of certainly considerable strength and there were some areas that that were probably weakened a little bit by some of the other uh, larger factors uh, that, that played in that you know maybe were not anticipated like like weather for instance.
0: Yeah well who were some of the winners? Some of the retailers or, or some of the product types?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that you saw considerable strength, again, in the home furnishings category um, and, and the home supplies category. A lot of people um, are taking up that DIY mantle and, and really going out there and improving their homes. They're seeing more value in their home prices, uh, which makes them feel like they can put more money back in and reinvest in those homes when they see those those higher home values that you know we didn't see five six seven years ago now we're really seeing some value there so those retailers are really benefiting uh... from that trend and people wanting to you know extend the value um, definitely of their home another uh, big one which which you know shouldn't come as too much of a, so- a shock during this time of year the sporting good um, and toy uh, category again we don't have the breakout yet that's all one category right now for the advanced numbers um... but that uh, sector did very, very well. And it, and it was really led by toys. Um, and obviously during the holidays, toys do you know incredibly well. Um, so while we maybe didn't see the numbers that we would ultimately love to see, the, the really high numbers, I still think that it was a, a pretty solid holiday season. And I think one thing to really note is that we saw a considerable uptick in the amount gift cards uh, this year. 20% of consumers' expenditures was in the form of gift cards. And why is that important? Because actually most retailers don't redeem that value, don't report that value until the consumer actually comes in and redeems it. And most consumers are redeeming those gift cards in January, but also in February. 43% of people said they're going to redeem their gift cards in February or later. So those numbers, those sales numbers for gift cards, don't even get recognized in the in the traditional November, December holiday period. So that's a big chunk of change that's still sitting out there technically on the sidelines of retailers' books uh, that they have not accounted for.
0: 20%?
3: 20% of, wow. of holiday spending. Oh. Of holiday gift spending, 20% was in the form of a gift card. So you think about it. If somebody uh, bought you a $100 gift card, the retailer doesn't actually realize that gain on their books from an accounting practice and what gets reported in the numbers until you go into the store and actually buy $100 worth of product. Um, or say you only buy 50. They only account for 50. And they have up to a year before they actually go... Um, and have to report that so so that's actually something there there is some underlying strength that has yet to be considered or reported and it's actually a trend that we've noticed over the past several uh, holiday seasons and it's actually why you're seeing January and February rise in terms of the share of the total calendar in terms of uh, they're still lower volume months compared to November and December but the share they're gaining share uh, you know because of those gift card expenditures
0: well you can see how that could really skew the numbers and uh, I think it's always interesting when somebody gives me a gift card so you're telling me where I have to shop okay thanks a lot Um <laughs> you know? uh, but also I guess gift cards are a great profit area for these retailers right I guess some of the times uh, they're they're not totally redeemed right
3: yeah, I mean, it, it certainly is a win for retailers, um, and I would say even more so than the the better thing for retailers about gift cards. Uh, you know, not not the the part where they where the consumer doesn't actually redeem it. It's where they come into the store and spend more than the value of the gift card, and that happens more often than not you know you get a fifty dollar gift card well the item you really want is seventy five dollars but now you're more willing to buy it because you only have to spend twenty five out of your own pocket and you're getting the seventy five dollar value um, so that is actually what you see quite a bit of and for retailers that's an absolute boon because that's an incremental sale that they're getting that they wouldn't have gotten uh, necessarily before, so it makes right. a lot of sense for them, and it's good for the consumer. And I think that what you're really seeing, my theory on this, the reason that there's this uptick in gift cards, and it helps when we're in better. I want to hear.
0: Market. I want to hear more about this. We got to take a short break. We'll be right back with Jesse Trant with ICSC. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you in accounting, banking, or technology? advertising on this show is an incredible way to reach U.S. commercial real estate participants. Visit CREshow.com or call 888-612-SHOW. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking about retail, real estate, and retailers. We have Jesse Tron uh, on Skype with us uh, from ICSC. And Jesse, before the break, we were talking about how well some of these retailers and some of the products did, and and, uh, it wasn't rosy everywhere. So what were some of the uh, uh, retailers and some of the products that maybe didn't do so well?
3: sure I, you know i think electronics were a bit off uh... we were a bit surprised by the fact that uh... in, in what we were looking at this the smartphone category um, didn't do quite didn't really do as well as we were you know, anticipating. Um, you know, I think wearables and some of the other electronics, the, the TVs and um, and actually tablets and things like that did pretty well um, or, or a little bit better, but, but electronics was a bit off and I think another category was seasonal apparel. Um, you know, and that was really uh, weather-induced. Uh, we saw an absolutely unseasonably warm weather pattern throughout much of the holiday shopping period and it really just did not entice consumers to go out there and buy that winter gear. You saw a little bit of it because it is still in that gift category. So but that was really the only Things that people were buying, whereas gifts, people weren't buying those coats, those scarves, those hats, and sweaters uh, for themselves at the same clip as they normally do, and it was really because of that warm weather pattern, uh, you know, that, that we saw in November and December. I mean, it was it was almost seventy degrees on Christmas Day in New York City. Uh, that's wow. kind of unheard of.
0: Yeah, that is crazy. You Think you're going to be there shopping and it's going to be snowing, right? That you're going to be in yeah. the spirit. I
3: mean, that- that weather helped other categories because it put people out there and got them out there shopping and made them able to go out and shop you know so it was a very accessible weather pattern but it didn't do much for that seasonal apparel um, that, that was definitely adversely impacted by by that warm weather.
0: Right and as you can't talk about retail and retail real estate without talking about online sales it's really growing and a lot of the retailers have figured that out that uh, you know they're doing a mix of online omni-channel marketing so how did online sales do this holiday season?
3: Well, I think online sales did did pretty well. We saw, and that's uh, no surprise. I mean, I think one of the things that you have to remember, though, which gets sort of underreported here, is that they're in the nation stages, uh, you know, really uh, compared to brick and mortar sales. So any and and they're a much smaller base. Remember it's still about 7% of total retail sales occur online. So we're talking about a pretty small section of the industry. So when you calculate off that small base, you get these really fantastic percent gain numbers. Um, the underlying actual dollar figure, maybe not as much as, as people would think by what's reported on those percent gains, but they, they still did pretty well. But I think what really you saw happening is this idea of convergence out there this holiday season and one where it really is no longer a story of bricks versus clicks and competing and things like that for retailers. They are now trying to, as you alluded to, that omni-channel, that buzzword is out there in the industry, but they're really trying to make it a bricks and click strategy and marry the two because we really are seeing a fundamental shift in how the consumer shops. Uh, and they're really using both. And actually what they're doing quite a bit of is they're using those digital channels to heavily inform how they go to the store and make their actual purchase. So the smart retailers are understanding that and they're finding the right mix and the strategy and knowing that, yep, they're gonna gain some share of sales online, but they're also, through better digital channels, going to drive more traffic and more purchases in store. You know, for instance, 32%, so nearly a third of consumers this holiday season, said they participated in click and collect shopping. That, I think, is really something that you're going to see continue to grow. And some retailers were prepared for it. Not all of them were fully prepared for really the, the uh, influx that, they, that we saw in that click and collect shopping uh, method. And that's, of course, where you buy online and go pick up in the store. And why is that great for retailers? 76% of those people said they bought something else once they went to pick up their original purchase. So that's a great way to gain incremental sales. You know, the, the thing about online is it's ease and convenience, but you don't get any of those incremental sales, those those upsell kind of moments. It's a very one-to-one kind of sales scenario. So driving people to come into your store, um, either to pick up or return exchange, all those things uh, is really a boon to, to retailers. So I think that's what you're really seeing from the digital side is, is just how much digital is enhancing and influencing uh, the total sales picture and the in-store sales picture.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, and it's a great way to pick up those those late shoppers, right? That uh, uh, they don't really they want to do it online, but if it's too late in the season, they figure, well, I'm not going to get delivery, so they can go online and buy it. Go to the store. Love your point there too. That uh, where you're there, uh, you're going you're probably going to buy something else. So, what are some other oh, yeah. quick tips, uh, Jesse, for retailers to improve per- improve their performance or improve the way I talk or improve performance? <laughs>
3: Yeah, I, well, I, I think that that's the big one, right? We we mm-hmm. talked about the the major elephant in the room is mm-hmm. is perfecting the omni channel process, and I think we still have a ways to go. And I think retailers are going to continue to to really weigh in and do that. And you're seeing uh, it across the board, for instance, with. Retailers that started out as online only retailers opening up stores so they can get uh, more of a piece of this omni-channel world and Retailers that started as traditional brick-and-mortar are figuring out ways to enhance their digital plays to, to drive people back to their stores So I think that's really going to be a continued uh, You know uh, area of focus within the industry because we are seeing a shift in consumer uh, habits and where they're really influenced by this digital channel and then go buy actually in physical stores. The other thing that I think good uh, point
0: and we're going to take a short break. When we get back, we're going to ask Jesse about tenants that are hot, who's expanding, who's closing. You will find out next. I'm Michael Bull. This is the commercial real estate show. Stay with us. We have a lot more headed your way. welcome back I'm Michael ball and this is the commercial real estate show we're talking about retail and retail real estate we have Jesse Tron with us on Skype and and Jesse there's been some trouble with closings I guess that's just normal as the as the market change like what we were just talking about uh, a lot of retailers are doing more online sales and, and em, employing there uh, and closing some stores you know Macy's is planning to close 36 stores uh, JC 7. We're hearing Walmart's going to close 269 stores, uh, GAP 175. Uh, what's going on? What do you see there?
3: Sure, yeah, and, and I think the important thing to note is that I, I don't think this is necessarily a direct correlation with online. I mean, mm-hmm. as we talked about, um, you know, I, I just, that I don't see. What I do see is that, as you brought up, this is par for the course during the first quarter of the year. This is when people prune their store count. Um, If they didn't have quite the success that they were looking for in the previous year, this is when they close stores. So you, you talk about certain retailers, that doesn't mean that those retailers are in, huge huge trouble but it definitely signifies that they didn't get done what they wanted to in in the in the previous year but remember about 50 percent of closures happen in the first quarter so this is the time that it is normal to see this if we were seeing this in the third and fourth quarter this large of a store closing count then you would have some worry but this is not not this is nothing to worry about uh you know at the moment because this is when people prune their store count and what that means is that yes while it's a challenge to go and fill those spaces it's also a huge opportunity to get in some other retailers that maybe you wanted to have uh, that are going to really enhance your tenant mix. And we are seeing that there are retailers that are going to be out there expanding. Uh, the, the fast fashion category is still booming. As you saw, I mean, we talked a little bit about apparel being uh, in a bit of a concern, but but there is some deflation there from a price standpoint. And so fast fashion um, is doing very, very well selling at the lower price point and I think they're expanding. So the h and the Zara's, the Uniqlo's, the Top Shops and now the Primark's actually entering the fray. They're going to be snapping up space and they take large amounts of space typically as well and somebody like primark look at them, them as an example they actually don't even sell online so their whole methodology is to gain market share through increased store count so i, I think i'd look for them to potentially be a player in snapping up some of the space and then there are other uh, types of tenants that are going to come in and, and take uh, a share of that space so it's it's definitely it's a challenge uh, but like i said it's also an opportunity and it is not the warning bells that I think we want to make out at this time of year. Again, I, if I was seeing this in the third and fourth quarter, Shaking I'd in be yeah. significantly <laughs> more concerned.
0: <laughs> right. So who are some of the other retailers and uh, retail types that are expanding now?
3: Yeah, I mean, we talked about that fast fashion category. I think you're actually seeing some expansion in some of the non-traditional categories as well when you talk about shopping centers, you're seeing an increase in in healthcare tenants, uh, you know, in those shopping centers. You're seeing increases in uh, the food categories, in the dining and the entertainment categories, and as well as things like um, health clubs, gyms, uh, fitness centers. All those kinds of things are actually taking significant amounts of space, which is really, really interesting. It's not something we would have seen 15 or so years ago um, that, All of these different types of tenants in one mix and actually working incredibly well together uh, from a from a shopping center standpoint or a mall standpoint. So I think it's really kind of exciting times in terms of just how eclectic Mm -hmm. some of these tenant mixes are.
0: Yeah, uh, good point. And there's a lot of uh, good things going on uh, while there's some closures with Jesse. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you at at Recon out uh, in Vegas in the spring.
3: it's creeping up on us fast. I look forward to seeing you out there for sure.
0: That's great. And uh, if you're in retail or retail real estate, make sure you do get to the ICSC recon event in Vegas. It is incredible. If you're in retail retail real estate, you have to be there. It's uh, it's just amazing. Well, be sure to join us next week. We're going to talk about the multifamily market. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty Commercial Advisors, a great place to do business. Visit bullrealty.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals use for commercial real estate information. Visit Excelligent.com. That's X-C-E-L-I-G-E-N-T. Commercial Search, the source to market and source available properties for sale or lease. Visit commercialsearch.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional videos, podcasts, or articles, visit CREshow.com.